Hello and welcome to the 905er podcast and this is Thursday's 905 Roundup. My name is Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And we have a packed lineup, so we're going to do, uh, we're going to keep it short and sweet on each story because we've got a, a, a long list of things to talk about. And uh, well, we thought we'd start off with a quick follow up on the whole uh, Oakfield teacher dress code uh, issue um, <laughs> from a few weeks ago. I'm trying to put that in the, in the least inflammatory way possible. Fiasco is more um, like it. Yeah. Uh, so, Joe, what's going on there? Yeah, so uh, if you were reading, if you've been following this story, it's uh, discreetly and quietly in the Toronto Star. Uh, uh, Kristen uh, Rochery uh, posted a story uh, on the weekend, basically sta- stating that the Halton District School Board, uh, after their deliberation and review of uh, of the situation, basically came back and said that they cannot uh, institute a dress code uh, for this uh, for for their their employees, their teachers, uh, to dress appropriately and perhaps modestly or, or just practically uh, in the workplace. Um, I, I'm going to call kind of BS on this because I, the, the rationale was it could infringe on the, the freedoms of trans LGBTQ other denominations to dress uh, appropriately or, or according to their, their beliefs or who they are. And I, I I understand wanting to respect people's differences and, and allow them to dress appropriately, but this the story stems from the fact that the teacher in question in a shop class at an Oakville High School was dressed rather inappropriately. Um, forget the 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 sensationalization of, of their their outfit, but you know I'm, you're telling me that there's no way that you can say well dress code of making sure hair is tied back in a ponytail out of the uh, out of the risk of being caught in uh, heavy machinery at a, at a in a shop class or protective eyewear at the least, same as no high heels, uh, using maybe closed toe shoes at the very least. Like it, it's it shocks me that this is an unreasonable accommodation for safety and a dress code to put into a a high school shop class. It's stunning to me that this is even like they have to do this. I think we're going to leave it at that because the story is ongoing because uh, apparently we're going back to the Ontario College of Teachers as they're still conducting their review under the direction of uh, Minister uh, of Education, Minister Leshy, uh, to see about implementing a dress code for the entire uh, teaching profession, which I don't think is unreasonable, truth be told, uh, to just a bare standard of this is what's considered professional and acceptable in the workplace. Um, we'll come back to it, and I'm going to leave it at that. But it, it, this is a, a, a just an update for you to to stay on top of uh, what's happening in, in the 905. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's a whole lot that I can or want to add there. But um, I hate saying phrases like common sense because it's such a lazy statement. Um, but there are obviously limits on what we can and can't wear in every avenue of life. We can't, mm. uh, can't go into a workplace stark naked. So, um, so we can't go in wearing, you know, so, so where that line is, is something that is a normal part of, of discussion in society. And, you know, yeah, if, 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 this, well, I mean, the point you made, um, you know, if the school board can't, um, 
can't do this, then what really is the point of the school board is, 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 is kind of an issue that we've, we've, it's come up in a variety of different ways. And it's right. like, you know, uh, this stuff is, this kind of stuff is better handled at a provincial level anyway. Um, the school board can't clearly can't handle it. Fine. Then, then do away with these school boards that just reinvent the wheel uh, in every uh, municipality across the province. Um, there's no point. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, uh, the next topic du jour, which uh, hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, you have not been sick uh, and you haven't had a need to go to any of the fine hospitals or not so fine as it turns out around the 905. This is something that we, we kind of been putting off for a while because it just, it, it, it's a snowball of crises that just, you know, as soon as we seem to kind of get a handle on, on understanding some of it, it turns over and there's a whole other aspect of it that is just overwhelming. Uh, and that we're talking about the, our, the, basically the collapsing state of our province's healthcare system. Um, you know, we're, we're, basically the only way I can sum it up in, in a, as general a statement as possible is that our healthcare system is collapsing. It is falling apart. It is no longer working, whether that's the, the previous liberal government's fault for not funding enough or the, before that, the Mike Harris, Ernie Eves conservative government for slashing the healthcare system uh, entirely or the NDP government before that. Um, quite frankly, I don't care. Uh, this government is the one on the watch. This is the one uh, who's responsible for uh, making sure that the system works when we need it to work. And they are not doing it. They're failing everyone in this province in spades. I have no idea what their motivation is. I don't care what their motivation is. What they're doing to this, to the healthcare system in our, in our province is an atrocity to all of us. And we should be absolutely furious about it. Um, basically from what I, I understand is, we don't have enough healthcare workers, nurses, and other special, and especially those specializing in various uh, forms of care, to staff. You know, basically our emergency rooms, our our operating rooms, or or our our, um, our ICU I, ICU units uh, around the province, and we're shutting them down. Like what the, the fact that we're shutting down hospitals, well. And we're, we're hearing about COVID cases starting to creep back up. They're starting to rise back up. And we're now flirting with the idea of bringing back mask mandates. Uh, but we're not going to do that because God forbid that might actually help uh, help public uh, public health. It's, 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 it just it, it infuriates me to no end because there are ways, like there, we have the money. We know that we have the money to, do, to invest into healthcare. You know, the, the government's, uh, posted a $2.1 billion surplus. And we know that the federal government is willing to fork over even more money into our healthcare system, provided that we, the, this government provides uh, assurances and guarantees that that money will go into public health. They're not willing to do that. They just want, you know, they want the money to put into, I don't know, a, a, a more of a slush fund, uh, like what they did with our, our, the COVID money that the federal government handed over. Uh, it, it, it infuriates me just that this is that we're let, that this is being let to happen in Ontario is completely shocking to me. Yeah. Uh, what can we add? You know, um, 
I don't know, what did we expect uh, when we voted for this government for a second time? Um, when the opposition parties allowed this government to win for a second time by their complete ineptitude uh, in the face of a government that was before the most recent election utterly morally and intellectually bankrupt um, uh, in being able to land a single punch on this government that that killed our relatives in long-term care through just absolute callous disregard. Uh, and now that they've won a second election, the gloves are off everywhere. And, and they're willing to spend money. Um, they're willing to cut gas taxes. That's spending money. They're willing to reduce developer fees. That's spending money because that money still has to be spent. Uh, they're willing to write checks to to parents to spend on whatever the hell they want for so many hundred uh, million dollars, uh, three hundred fifty million dollars odd worth of uh, checks just going to parents, just you know, because um, they're willing to spend money uh, on their priorities, which are bribes, back you know, basically a legal form of backhander, saying they're illegal, but you know, uh, promise can do what it wants. Uh, and meanwhile, we're losing staff from from healthcare because who the hell would want to work in that kind of environment? Um, well, they're not thanked. They're not appreciated. I mean, at what point did our current minister of health or our current premier ever go to a hospital and just shake a nurse's hand and say, thank you for all the work that you did during COVID? Thank you, to, thank you for keeping, literally, literally keeping those of us alive who are able to make it. Thank you. You know, he, and even if they did, it would be pretty shallow, in my view. Unless well, at they, this point, they yeah, came yeah. with a came with a pay rise, uh, a big freaking pay rise. Um, you know, the people who've been on the front line of this thing are, are all the most traditionally abused professions, or people in professions that are that are that are notoriously hard. You know, uh, mm -hmm. blue collar workers in, in transportation or factories. Uh, healthcare workers, you know, uh, on the front, literally, literally on the front line of the pandemic, uh, uh, teachers and education workers who who couldn't stay home, um, who are you know, who are you know, every day kept, who kept the, facing the uh, kept the system running, and this is how this government thanks them by saying, "Well, I'm I'm going to hoard all my money. I'm not giving you a dime." What get what what angers me the most is. The, so the, the hospitals that have a shortage of nurses, they've been resort to go to these private nursing agencies that cost more to hire a nurse because you know those agencies have they have their own overheads. They have to you know office expenses. They have to there's a whole administrative staff that goes behind hiring one nurse, um, and they're they're hired to come in. It's it's incompetence to the nth degree that you know this this keen businessman of a leader uh, Doug Ford who who knows how to how to save a buck and and stretch that buck as far as it'll go. His solution is well, well I'll let all these nurses quit because I'm not going to pay them, but then I'm going to pay twice as much to hire them back. Like who? I'm sorry, but in, in in the private sector, you know what we do to that person? We fire their ass. The, your your manager gets called in and say you cost my department double this double your budget, you're fired. And I mean, let's face it, Doug, Doug Ford was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and, and 
my bet hasn't actually worked an honest day's job in his life for him to say that he knows how to save the province money and how to how to get us quote unquote back on track he has no idea what back on track means what it looks like um well he's it, making enemies now in in places that he can't afford to uh some people may remember the ontario medical medical association uh sticking it to the ontario liberals for uh with just hundreds and thousands of 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 paid ads before the 2018 election and before uh, because of things that they didn't like the liberals have done and basically throwing their their support behind the uh, conservatives either tacitly or overtly um and now surprise surprise the uh, the OMA is a bit annoyed because uh guess what the conservatives are lowering doctors fees on phone appointments um well yeah the OMA are, are, are have a degree of financial punch that uh, the other healthcare workers uh, uh, lack uh, very often um so you know the premier making an enemy of them uh is uh probably unwise uh nevertheless um it's difficult to have a whole lot of sympathy with them it's like what do you think was going to happen when right. you uh backed doug ford uh, another union that should have known better uh but yeah that's probably enough on that one for now it's 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 a disgrace well, the priorities of this government are a disgrace i can't how many times can i say disgrace it, it just it just is um they don't know what they're doing it's done in a chaotic mindless way there's no kind of underlying logic to it other than screw anything that's public sector and give money to our friends um it is by any normal definition corrupt um doesn't not necessarily corrupt in the actually broke the law way um but corrupt in the kind of values yeah corrupt in its values exactly yeah yeah, yeah. I, i'm gonna be, before we, we close this uh this chapter on the episode i would uh, send an invite out to any nurses or doctors who are working on the front lines if we'd love to hear from you uh send us an email uh if you're willing to especially if you're willing to come on the episode and just talk about your experience i'd love to hear what what is it actually like on the front lines in this mess and how are you holding it together uh in this day and age um send it, shoot us an email info at 905er.ca and we uh, we hope to hear from uh hear from folks like yourselves soon but on that note let's take a break and we'll be back right after this and we're back uh so we were talking about um unions who shake their heads at what were they expecting which is a is somewhat of a segue into our next <laughs> next chapter uh, on uh, this episode uh Roland, what do you got for us yeah kings of the what what were they expecting i said that this union has got an awful lot of things that that help it out of um out of this government um because this union isn't just a union uh, it's also a developer uh, one of the biggest developers in the province and certainly one of the biggest developers in Hamilton, and that is Leuna. Um, so there's an article today in the Hamilton Spectator. I, mean, I actually made a tweet, um, I don't know, was it a week and a half ago when the announcement came out from the province about uh, their attacks on the Greenbelt and that they were overturning the city, Hamilton's and Halton's um, decisions not to alter their urban boundaries. Um 
And the same day, the uh, Hamilton Halton Home Builders Association, who are kind of the cheerleaders for everything development uh, in the area, uh, sent out a tweet saying, "Yes, this is this is this is great for for home builders and developers, but you know we'd also like to see that height limit in Hamilton. We'd like to see that overturned." Well, hey presto, here we are a week later. Guess what happened? That height limit in Hamilton also got overturned. I guess they forgot a week ago to include that. Uh, so the promise is just overruling everything and anything. I mean, the, the joke I made then a week and a half ago was like, you know show some gratitude. You've got everything you've ever asked for and you're still going to bitch that you don't have that height limit in Hamilton to build another 20 stories. You know, you've, you, you're getting sprawl, you're getting height, you're getting um, missing middle, you're getting everything. Basically, the problem is saying you can build everywhere, even places you didn't ask to build because the developers never really talked about missing middle. Uh, but Everything you want, you get. And guess what? We're going to say up yours to Hamilton 2 on the height limit, on their ability to just say, you know what? 30 stories is enough for anybody. Um, there are thousands of cities around the world which are far greater density than Hamilton or any city in the 905 or even Toronto that don't have a single building over about 10 stories. Uh, there's all kinds of ways to increase, increase density. That, that, but no, you know, that might just slightly inconvenience someone. And guess who it would have inconvenienced? Well, it would have inconvenienced Joe Mancinelli of Leuna, who uh, is basically running a development company and is building housing and wanted more than 30 stories uh, downtown next to the LRT line, which is also something that they campaigned very hard on because they own land by the LRT land and they're going to profit from it. Now, Talk about one hand scratching the other or one hand, you know, helping the other. It's, it's, they have all sides of this deal. I mean, Leuna had the fantastic uh, arrangement where they're not only, you know, controlling labor costs, they're controlling the, the, uh, the development legislative framework as well. It's a perfect business, isn't it? It's, a, it's completely a conflict of every kind of interest of, uh, imaginable. Um, and oh, they were out there talking about QP a couple of weeks ago and their solidarity with QP members. Well, color me completely unimpressed by, by any of that. Uh, they, they were a massive supporter of the conservative of the PCs in 2018 and this year. Mm -hmm. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, that is the worst kind of uh, backstabbing of working people in this province in every possible way. It's, it's an appalling, it's sort of that, 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 you know, these groups don't get what's going on at the grassroots in this province. You know, in our last episode, uh, we had on the, you know, Greenbelt Alliance to talk about, you know, we're, we're shifting the anger now from uh, what happened in the education uh, uh, portfolio with QP uh, and the, the amount of support and the grassroots that they support they got there. And that momentum seems to be carrying over into all these other areas that the, the Ford government is really just trampling over democracy and the, the will of the people to cater to a very small, rich group of, of influencers in this province. And it, it's like the, the assumptions, well, you know, they, they can't put the connection of, if you anger one group, what makes you think they are going to get support from these other groups? And it's kind of what happened with Mike Harris and Ernie Eves. They, they, they assume the same thing of, oh, well, 
yeah, people might be upset with teachers. The teachers might be upset with me, but that's a, that's separate from uh, situations of like environmental con- concerns and rights. They're not. People understand this stuff is all connected. They understand, well, you can't pit us against each other. People are united in their anger of, this is not how we want to live our lives. We don't want to live our lives forced to buy homes that aren't affordable for us because somebody else figures, well, I can make a good buck on selling you stuff that you really don't need or want to send you to a school that is going to be underfunded and crumbling. You're sending your kids to a school that's underfunded, under crumbling with people who don't want to be there because they're not being paid properly. And God forbid you get sick. Well, it's a crapshoot if your hospital's ER is going to be open on the, that evening when you go down there. People understand this is all connected. We don't want to live this way. We want a better life. We want a system that works for us, not for a, f- a select few or the people who have the, the premier's personal phone number. That's These groups are going to regret this, this, this siding with the government. You know, it, it, People are strong in this one. I, you know, if I'm, if I'm not a betting man, but if I was to take Vegas odds on how this is going to work out, my money's always on the people. My money is always on, especially when people are this angry. Like I have never seen the anger against this government right now is amazing. Like you, you just have to throw a dart at a wall and you're going to find a reason to get pissed off at Doug Ford and his cabinet. This is not a safe place to be for, for a, a politician. You're, this is the, the end your dynasty, your your legacy by the next election. If they're expecting that you know people's anger is going to be disappear by the end of this, by the end of this, uh, you know, by the next election, no, because if things just don't work, people get angry, and their memories are long. Well, I hope you're right, I and mean, I hope you're right, and I hope that the opposition get their act together all the opposition parties get their act together. Um, yeah, I, I, I certainly feel the anger. Uh, uh, but, you know, my anger is also at, at the craven greed mm. of, of businesses and organizations who are putting pressure on the government to get this. Um, and as you know, we're, we're preempting actually the episode because this episode is going to come out before our interview with uh, with um, uh, in the uh, uh, environment uh, uh, alliance. Group. Alliance, yes. Um, but uh, you know, to, to to slightly preempt what one comment, a lot of this is about um, you know the name of Bill Twenty Three is the More Homes Built Faster Act, and as you'll hear in that episode when, when it comes out, uh, it's not actually about more homes being built faster. It's about land values uh, going up faster. It's about taking land that speculators bought on the cheap and driving those prices up. Now, does driving prices up sound like something that will make homes more affordable to you? No. I don't it, think so. This is about making landowners wealthy. Yeah. We're making a buck. Uh, and spe- speaking of making a buck, let's move on to our final uh Quick, quick a, a tidbit of information for the for the episode, and that is, if you are a subscriber to the St. Catherine Standard, you may have noticed um, on the front page that living wage is now nearly twenty bucks uh, an hour. Uh, 
we've had on uh, uh, from the Ontario Living Wage Network, um, Craig uh, Pickthorn, who to discuss that issue. I'm going to say almost a year ago uh, that we had him on, and at that point, you know, the the idea of a living wage, if, for those of you who don't know, is you calculate you know cost of rent, transportation costs, you know, groceries, utilities, that kind of stuff, in an area, and you figure like what is the bare minimum uh, wage per hour for somebody on minimum wage on the the lowest rung of society to be basically make enough money that they can take care of those needs, that basic need. That's a living wage. And we're at basically in the in the Niagara region, calculating at about twenty dollars, uh, and that seems to be roughly in the nine hundred five area. Um, it, it varies by some cents or a dollar here or there, but I'm going to say twenty dollars is an average. There's still at fifteen dollars an hour for a minimum wage in this province, and it's you know again I go back to this idea that this government is so incompetent in terms of how to run this economy is that the idea of, well, we can't, you know, employers can't be, can't possibly afford to pay somebody an, a living wage or, or more than $15 an hour, which I call bullshit on. Uh, they could, a, a company can pay whatever they want. They just, you know, you tell me that Loblaws, uh, who, who is able to, you know, charge, who, who made Billions in, or millions of uh, sorry, millions in profit in a fiscal quarter, like millions more than what they expected. They're not losing money; they're making money. They can't afford to give their workers uh, a twenty dollars, pay them twenty dollars an hour to stock shelves or to uh, to clean up the aisles. I call bullshit on this idea that we cannot afford to pay people, especially in the in an age of inflation. Yeah, and, and I think the most important thing this is a something that kind of struck me a couple of years ago actually it was 2019 um it, it struck me this if you underpay someone if if you need 20 dollars to live and they're earning 15 dollars, it's not the society as a whole the country the, the employer the government everybody us we the taxpayer we don't save five dollars that five dollars still gets spent but that five dollars is then provided by the government by the taxpayer is provided in the form of um, extra healthcare costs because that person is more likely to be unhealthy. It's provided through, you know, uh, uh, social social um, social security payments or, or top up payments or whatever form. It's provided um, uh, through, uh, yeah, and it's far more expensive to pay it that way because and inefficient. Yeah, it's more expensive, more efficient, more wasteful. It's more stupid to pay it that way. And basically, that all those sums that you add up, all those extra costs that we pay uh, to keep people earning $15 an hour rather than 20 are a subsidy, a massive, massive subsidy to employers. And overwhelmingly, it's the biggest and wealthiest employers who pay the crappiest wages. It's the Walmarts. It's the uh, it's the big brewer, brewery companies. It's the it's the Amazons. It's these guys who are paying minimum wage, who earn the biggest profits, and who are being subsidized to the tune of millions and millions of dollars every year by the government to to be able to get away with not paying a proper wage. So make no mistake ever, we pay that $5 difference 
uh, so it's more like $10, $20 that we're paying on top that we don't need to, um, and that we're, each generation pays in, in damage to our society as a result of low wages of people living in poverty. We, we keep oh. hearing about the, the, the problems of inflation, right? And, oh, there's so much demands out there and there's too much money in the economy and whatnot. And I, I, there's, a, there's a bit of a truth to that. There's a bit of a truth of, yeah, there is probably too much money in the economy. The problem is it's not that there's too much because Lord knows I don't have any of that money. You know, Roland, are you, have you been squirreling away here your millions of dollars? I don't think so. <laughs> no. <laughs> but where it's going is, yeah, it's going to the Loblaws and the Rogers and and Bell Media and like all these top tier companies that are, you know, they're giving billions of like the fact of that Loblaws is able to post millions of dollars in profit on a growth like selling food. It's not as if like, oh, they have, they have made a product that is just really unique. They've really marketed. It's not like an Apple iPhone or, or a Google smartphone or, or something. This is food. This is, a, this is what we need to live. And you're making millions of dollars in off of inflation for this. And yet we have people who can't afford, like they're on the bottom run. They're not able to make rent or they have to make a choice between rent and eating healthy uh, properly. Because we're not willing, this government isn't willing to say no. That's the bare minimum. They we can. There is too money, much money in this economy, but it's not with you or I or any of our listeners. It's with the 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 top, uh, top top earners in this in this province. And they and it's that here's the thing: they didn't earn it. I should say they didn't they didn't work hard and develop it. They jig the system. They get their tax cuts, and they force up our, our, our cost of living. They, you know, they, they don't, they're not building homes for us to move into. They're building these gigantic sprawling subdivisions that they sell to us for money that we can't afford. And they walk away earning millions of dollars. And they say, yeah, I'm, a, I'm just a businessman. Well, no, the, the thing, things are going to change. It's going to have to break and some things are going to have to change. And that's that's ultimately what it comes down to. I guess the theme of this episode is that you know the things are breaking because people are not putting up with this anymore. We aren't. We're angry. We're, we know we know we're getting hosed over. We know we're getting screwed over by a system that it's catering only to the rich and only to the powerful. And the only thing that we have to work with, or the only currency we have in this fight, is our numbers. Our numbers and our solidarity. And that's I think what you know the QP fight showed that showed that okay there's a, there's a strength in numbers that can that we can use there are, strength, start- yeah. there are strength in numbers and this premier is a coward yes. he is a he is weak he is he has no intellectual basis to justify no. his decisions on um he he you know uh the the tough guy rob ford uh, i don't know why i keep on calling him rob ford lately tough guy doug ford image is such a joke, and it's such a joke that, that, that again the opposition hasn't managed to pin that on him. But this is a vacillating, weak man who will just do whatever it takes to be uh, to be popular while you know uh, throwing things, throwing bones to all his buddies. Um, so yeah, for a well-organized opposition, for a well-organized for well-organized movements that want to 
stick it to this government. There's all kinds of potential, uh, but it, it takes some gumption and some, uh, yeah, some hard work. Well, let's call it quits for that episode, for this episode, folks. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back uh, next week with more of the 905-er. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of the 905-er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.